0: It doesn't have to be rocket science. People often have this um, fear, this misconception that user research is expensive, it's complicated, it takes a really long time. There's three questions that you can ask off the bat that really don't take a lot of skill, but the art comes in setting them up to answer them honestly.
1: Welcome to episode 10, the final episode of season 7 of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you do get notified every time an episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice and as always if it's not let me know and I'll get it there. If you've already heard the show before, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes or drop us a comment in Breaker or Castbox. Today's co-host is Michelle Ronson, founder of Curiosity Tank, a design and user research firm in San Francisco. She's been practicing and teaching design and user research for over 20 years. Michelle and I are in a mastermind together, and I couldn't justifiably have a season talking all things ideal client without having Michelle in here. Michelle partners with individuals and companies to improve and grow businesses at every stage of the product and service life cycle. She works with companies like Slack, Zillow, and so many more. Her data-driven and customer-centric approach consistently moves organizations from insights into action with confidence. If there's one thing that you're going to hear from Michelle is that she's super passionate. She's an expert at helping people ask the right questions in the right way in order to identify customer insights. Then taking those insights and putting them into action. In this episode, we dive into surveying your clients. What's the right questions to ask? And I asked her to help us all in the fine art of digging deeper without sounding like a five-year-old asking why 17 times. If you're running on the treadmill or driving in the car, you're going to want to take a break or pull over, especially when Michelle starts diving in here she actually tells us 11 questions to ask to dig deeper. So you're gonna wanna jot these down. If you wanna improve your client relationships and really hone in on what your ideal client wants from you, Michelle delivers that and so much more in this episode. After which I encourage you to head on over to Curiosity Tank and hop on our newsletter. And as an exclusive to you as a listener of this show, She's graciously extended a 15% off discount to any of her courses, which I'll link up to the show notes. Thank you so much, Michelle. Now, without further ado, let's dive in. Hey Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am super excited to have Michelle on here. Welcome, Michelle.
0: Hi, I'm super glad to be here. Thanks, Jason.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny when I was thinking of the people in this season, right? Like the ideal client, right? This is your bread and butter, and we'll get into this, obviously, but a lot of people struggle with that. Like they struggle with trying to figure out who their ideal customer is, where to find that customer, how to communicate to that customer, all of these things. And I know that, I mean, your resume speaks for itself, right? Your experience and everything speaks for itself. There's so many different pathways we could go on this one today. So uh, I'm really excited that you're here. But before we jump into it, who is your ideal client?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I have two ideal clients, actually. I have two parts, two parts of my business. One part focuses on, on corporate work and corporate clients and um, one part of my business focuses more on solopreneurs and individuals, which would probably be more of uh, your audience. So the corporate clients, definitely the target is companies that are, are very UX mature. And, and by that, I mean they have a very high degree of user experience understanding so they know how to collaborate with someone like me. They, they understand the benefits of user research and, and what it is and how to go about it. Those kind of clients are Slack and Zillow and Gusto and Zero and companies like that, primarily in the high-tech sector. Mm-hmm. Not so much because I'm super high-tech, but because those are the types of companies that really tend to understand and, and embrace user research. So there's not a, a long sales cycle. There's not, I don't have to convince anybody of anything or, or teach them how to do uh, what I do. And also because I'm in San Francisco, which is, you know, arguably um, one of, you know, the biggest hotbeds, you know, of technology and innovation.
1: Mm-hmm. So w- what you said there was really awesome. And I want to bring that out is, is that you said that you don't have these long sales cycles. And now you mentioned Slack Zillow, like these big brands, obviously, and they're very knowledgeable. They kind of, they're probably close to that buying decision when they're talking to you. But how did you go about landing that type of a client? Because that's what a lot of, I mean, a lot of developers and designers out there we 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 want that short sales cycle. We want that customer to be like, all right, I know the value of what you're doing for me. I just want to buy. Where's the proposal? Let me sign off and give you that deposit. How did you come across? How did, how did you, yourself, say, okay, these are the types of people that I want to work with and this is how I go get them?
0: Well, you know me and I'm a, I'm a totally open book, so I'm going to give this straight. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't. It was more, um, it, first of all, I'd say 90% of my, these corporate relationships are referral based. So they're being referred to me by someone who knows of my work and knows what I do. So it's inbound. Um, I don't do any sort of outbound marketing or promotions or sales in any way. In fact, I just started to communicate on LinkedIn uh, about six months ago. So I'd say that um, combined with the referral, the direct referral, I think it's also still pretty niche in terms of of what I do. And um, there's not a lot of people who work independently as a researcher, and some of it's just not being an asshole.
1: <laughs> right. So, so for these clients, you, for Slack and so on and so forth, you're actually helping them find their customers, correct?
0: Yes, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily find their customers, but understand how their customers think and feel and what they value and what they preference and why and how they use something or don't use something or how they think about it or their mental model or what I I really see a big part of my job is um, user research to me is part art, part science and part improv. And, and that improv um, to me is, is kind of a lot of acting and getting into that beginner's mindset and really exploring and mining these areas with, with that beginner's mindset. So whether, no matter how much I know about the product or the people or the politics or what's going on is getting into character and, um, and really trying to understand the underlying motivations or the behaviors and the why behind that.
1: Hmm. Well, one, I can totally get behind that science part, right? (laughs) Like I can, I'm such a data geek in the first place, but obviously what you do for your clients, then they go ahead and take that information and turn that around into their marketing and sales, I would assume, correct?
0: Uh, So, so one minor clarification there, one of the biggest predictors of success in my studies um, is certainly stakeholder involvement. So from the onset, I I truly encourage uh, my teams to get involved with me every step of the way. From planning, you know, what we are going to learn about to why we are going to learn about it and how we are going to use those learnings to what are we actually going to ask in what sequence, are we going to show some stimuli, if so, at what level, fidelity, in what format. I really encourage them to take notes and educate them on note-taking strategies and proper recruiting. There is a direct correlation between stakeholder involvement and being able to move from findings to insights and insights to action. And I gauge my own success by that action phase. So I think earlier you said something like, how how do I, or I hand it off to them or something like that. Certainly in, in some instances, I am handing off you know, a final, uh, well, in all instances, I'm handing off something that's, you know, sort of final, but I far prefer, and in most of these more UX mature companies, they're coming along for the ride with me. So I just, um, I just led a session this morning and I had four colleagues listen in live and they're passing me notes and they're asking for
1: clarification
0: and they're, you know, wanting to dig in here and there. And that by far is, is such a bet. That collaboration is just, is key. It's key.
1: Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of engaging with the stakeholder Mm -hmm. through every single step. Because I mean, one of the things that I learned early on in my own business is that if you're just dealing with gatekeepers, then there's a loss in translation that will always happen. And the success of the project is not going to be as good as it potentially could have been had the actual person who's signing the check is actually the person that's in lockstep with you throughout the entire process. So I think that's super important. And obviously in the whole grand scheme of things, I mean, when you talk about user research and, and even just surveys and questions to ask and the order of questions in which you ask, there's such a nuance there that gatekeepers really don't have all of that. their head right like the stakeholders in of themselves whether they're business owners or c-level people or you know vps they have a much broader sense of what their company is doing so obviously bring them along for the ride get them seated at the table i mean if i don't know about you but i know that if i don't ask up front saying who are the stakeholders in this project and then bring all of those people to the table Mm -hmm so to speak, yeah. at the very first conversation, I won't even have that very first conversation. Right. <laughs> like I'll, I'll say, look, we'll postpone it until you can get everybody in a room and then we'll talk, right?
0: Yeah, I think one thing that has helped me become successful is learning how to do this without adding on a lot of time or a lot of burden to the client, but, but really finding ways to, you know, be inclusive um, while being efficient and making it a learning experience. You know, so at the end of the day, I mean, I'd like to teach everybody how to fish for themselves. Sure, I'm a user researcher, I'm a design researcher. Um, that's kind of my title, that's what I do, that's what I love, but I also believe that everyone is a researcher. They might not identify that way, but everyone's asking questions and, and most people are interacting with the customer, whether you're in sales or whether you're a writer or whether you're a developer or designer, whatever, what have you we all need better research chops. You know, the world's getting smaller. There's too much data. We're not even using the data. So, so let's learn how to ask better questions in the right way at the right time and put that data to work. And that's going to help us become, you know, more efficient and make, make those informed decisions with confidence.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So before, cause I'm, I'm going to ask you, how do we ask better questions? But before <laughs> we do that, Uh, What would you consider your defining moment in life so far?
0: Uh, So that's a good question. Um, I don't know about so far, but certainly recently, I had this realization probably back in uh, April that there truly is a significant gap between people wanting to learn how to ask better questions, to learn the art and craft of user research, and that the learning pathways that are offered today or or the learning um, avenues, if you will, don't necessarily offer it in in the way that, A, people want to learn, or in their preferred learning style or format. And that not only was I extremely well positioned to address at least a portion of this gap directly, but that's how Curiosity Tank was formed. That's how um, I decided to rebrand my company, and it really shed the light on, um, wow, this, this really is my opportunity to, to give back, you know, is to help upskill all those individuals out there who truly want to learn how to ask better questions, but don't have a place to go. Um, they're spending, you know, hours or days searching on the internet. They're, they're going down rabbit holes. They're not, they don't know who to trust. There's too much information out there. A lot of it is theory. It's not practical. But this is a, a great kind of marriage of both my expertise in the space and in the design and research domain, as well as uh, education, which I've you know I've been teaching in this in design and research for over twenty years. So it's a way for me to give back and to make a positive impact, and something that like I truly am passionate about. I'm the first to say you know if I won the lottery tomorrow, I wouldn't change a thing about my work. I I get more cleaning help.
1: <laughs> I <think> that's awesome. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. And, and you mentioned curiosity tank and, and for you do listeners, if you go ahead and I'll throw the link in the, in the show notes, but go ahead and sign up to her email list. She sends off these weekly emails full of not just information, but action items. And that's, I mean, you know, me, I'm, it's great to know the theory and the methods and all that stuff, but okay. At the end of the day, what do I do with this? Can you give me some piece of information? And that's what Michelle does. So uh, definitely go check out her newsletter there. So we talked a little bit about, and we've mentioned it several times now. So I'm just going to blatantly throw it out there, right? How do we ask better questions?
0: Right. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, there's definitely an art and a science to this. And the the first um, the first thing we, to kind of lay this foundation. Let's, let's make sure we have a shared understanding of that there's two ways to gather information from a, from a user research standpoint. And one is to listen. Right? And that's, you know, listening to this podcast, listening to what our customers say, listening to the feedback that's maybe coming in through reviews or, you know, secondary means. And listening really helps us get at why. It helps us understand the meaning, it helps us understand motivation, it helps us understand beliefs and values. The second way we gather information is through observation. And this helps us understand habits and behaviors and actions. And often what we listen to and what we observe or what we hear and what we see are in conflict. And that in and it of itself is like this great juxtaposition, to begin. So, you know, earlier we were saying, bring your stakeholders along for the ride, you know, the more involved. I think, you know, the same can be said too, is, you know, email or something written is like the furthest away from, you know, understanding, if you will. And then, uh, Mm -hmm. and then maybe a telephone call, and then maybe a Zoom where we're looking at each other, and then maybe in person. So there's, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of different levels of understanding. And what we want to do is we want to get as close to the, close to the source as possible. So, you know, entering the conversation with both the observation and the listening kind of framework is, is super helpful. Mm-hmm. But the first place to start is understanding what do you want to learn? You know, you can't boil the ocean.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's get like super clear. Do we want to learn um, how well our discovery calls are working? Let's just take that as an example, right? So do we want to learn like about the format? Do we want to learn about what we could do to prepare better for it? Do we want to learn how we can get more efficient? You know, what exactly do we want to learn? And the second is to understand, like, where you are in the process of that, of that experience. Do you, do you have an existing discovery call format, or, or are you creating one from scratch, or is this a new one for a different kind of client segment? And then the third is, how will you apply these learnings? Because we, we don't ever want to gather data that we're not going to implement, right? So right. Be super, you know, it's like, how many times can you rate your Uber driver, right? You don't even look at it anymore. <laughs> this, is, this is data over, like data obsession. We, we don't, we don't want to get there. We want to be extremely strategic and focused with what we want to learn, where we are in the process, and, and how the learnings uh, will be applied. So once we get a, a, a good sense of those things, and again, stakeholder involvement is really, really important here. Then we're in a much better place to identify, you know, either a hypothesis or an assumption. And then when it gets into the actual conversation or the actual data collection, what we want to do is we we want to warm them up. We want to, um, you know, introduce the topic, you know, maybe with some easy questions, some lowball questions. And then we kind of want to build rapport and we want to, we want to set the stage for the information that we're trying to collect. We want to go ahead and give that person like overt permission, express permission to be, to be candid. We want to set them up for success. Mm-hmm. We want to let them know, you know, that there's no right or wrong answers to anything that we're going to you know, be talking about. And uh, we're there to learn from them. They're the experts on ABC and we want to kind of build up to the main area of, of what we're going to explore. And whether it's in a survey or whether it's in a live conversation or whether it's in a card sword or something unmoderated, you know, we approach it, we approach it the same way. After we spend all that time circling around like the main point of our topic and, and throughout the conversation, we want to affirm that um, they're doing a great job. We want to affirm that this is the type of information that we're looking for. We want to dig deeper. We want to ask them to tell us more. We want to ask them about the last time this happened. We want to ask them for stories. Mm. And then um, as we collect those stories and those verbatims and the natural language that they use, we want to affirm what we think we heard along the way for two reasons. Um, sometimes when they hear it back, they correct themselves. You know, that goes back to often the contradiction between what we say and what we do. And also because it will, will spark more stories, will spark more examples. Right. And we always want to leave the door open at the end. We want to thank them, we want to be gracious, we want to um, know if, you know, did we miss anything? Is there anything we should have thought to ask? Is there anything else that, you know, they think should be helpful for us to know? And can we reach out if we have further questions? Can we follow up with them? And that's really, you know, a great place to start. I have a a whole toolkit about a question bank, if you will, for how, you know, the structure and the cadence of an interview and i'd be glad to uh, to share that as
1: well are you wasting hours maybe even a full day on a call and drafting up proposals only to get crickets on the other end over the years hearing how developers and designers struggled with not being able to close as many deals as they would like after spending so much time on sales calls discovery calls and writing up proposals I wanted to help you could get better at sales simply by practicing which means if you're better at sales that equates to closing more deals however practicing can be tough to come by you know you could do it with a friend or a spouse or partner uh, but how do you know that what you're doing is actually helping you you don't besides it's awkward as hell anyway right that's why I designed and developed the sales call role play. See, when I have a 30-minute sales call, my win rate is 85% or more. It's simple. If you feel like you're wasting hours writing on proposals, getting on calls that become pick-your-brain sessions, and just feeling like you're not closing as many deals as you should, head on over to res.com salescall and sign up. You can book a 45-minute session with me. And for about 20 or 30 minutes, I'm going to be your lead, coming to you with a project that I need done. After we role play, I will provide you with my knee jerk and initial reactions from the call. And then after we end the session, I will listen back to the recording, which you're going to get as well, and take a deeper dive into our conversation. If there's one thing that I've found super powerful in my own sales process is to listen back on the sales call recordings. You're going to get delivered straight to your inbox, the recording, all the initial and deeper dive notes, as well as any links and resources and suggestions, whether they are mine or somebody else's to help you improve your sales calls. Karen used this for a practice run for a real life call that she had only a week prior to her actual call. What happened was she actually closed that deal and for more money than she would have asked for in the first place. Chase told me that he gained confidence because he was able to improve parts of his calls that he otherwise wouldn't have had the professional insight on. So if you want to gain confidence, practice a new technique, maybe some of Michelle's questions here, to just see how it feels or maybe learn a new, new approach in your sales, head on over to res.com slash sales call and use the code podcast at checkout and your session is for just $100. My mind is like going in a different, million different directions right here. But I think that's, and I just want to make sure we're understanding here. Now you can use this for leads, but you're actually best to use these for your own existing clients and or customers, correct?
0: Or prospects or um, absolutely. I mean, companies hire me to answer one of seven questions uh, generally. Uh, The first one is what should I build? And they have an idea that they're well-positioned to fill a gap or there's an opportunity in a space and they they think that they are well-positioned to fill that gap. And they might have an idea. Um, The second is, um, am I building the thing right? right? There's a hundred ways to transport people from A to B, right? So what's the right way? The second question is, am I building the thing right? And then the third question is, am I building, wait, what should I build? Am I building the right thing? Am I building the thing right? Right there's a mm-hmm. express difference between those two.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Next question would be like, who are my customers? Like really? Earlier you mentioned something about demographics and demographics not being you know super helpful for avatars, and I totally agree. Certainly in the user research space, um, we don't really segment um, because it's not helpful to segment by demographics. We want to segment by right. use or behavior or uh, mm-hmm. motivation or value, which is far more directional, um, when we're designing a product or service or, or looking to understand, you know, the perspectives, um, in, in the design space.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, even from, you know, I had to have my arm twisted basically (laughs) to do this, but it was to talk to my existing clients. And this is, I've been doing this now for probably about seven ish years at a formal level where I will just say, Hey, you have 10 or 15 minutes. I just want to ask you a couple of questions, a few questions outside of the projects and things that we're working on. It's just kind of just a casual conversation. I just want to kind of take your temperature if you will. Right. And it's just really just to open up the door there. And I just, and again, it's scary at first because you don't want to hear criticisms. You don't want to hear the you know, maybe you're doing things poorly or, you know, us as humans, we go that way, right? We go negative way. Right. But what, what happens is, is rarely do I ever get like a devastating comment or statement from a client, right. right? Like they're, they're more open to saying, Hey, everything's great. It would be awesome if, right. And so when you hear that transition there, there's that opportunity there that says, Maybe I can do that thing and then charge for it, right? And so for me, it was like, and again, I'm not doing it as formal as you're describing it here, Mm -hmm. but I am starting to, as we've known each other for a little bit longer, I'm hearing how you talk and things like that. And like, okay, I could ask more specific questions, but just even in those early days, when I had these conversations, I was communicating, over-communicating. That's kind of how I am. But then they were saying, hey, all the emails are awesome. You give us a weekly status email and everything else. But you know what we really like is a phone call. Mm. Just nothing else, but just a a regular phone call. And so I thought about it I said, well, phone call for me is... Not painful, right? It disrupts a day, maybe, but I could do that. If people are willing to pay me for it, I'll do it, right? And so I didn't even have to do anything from a skill set perspective, but even having that conversation allowed me to up level my services that they perceive as valuable. So I was me- I merely just read off of the status email. And say, well, I did this, this, and this, and this is what I'm working on next week. <laughs> Any questions?
0: It doesn't have to be rocket science, you know. People, people, you know, often have this um, fear, or this misconception that user research is expensive, it's complicated, it takes a really long time. You know, there's there's three questions that you can ask, you know, off the bat, and, and one of them is, what's working well? Like, what about what I provide or this product or this service, like what about it really speaks to you? What resonates the most? Mm. And there's no right or wrong answers. I'm just, I'm truly looking to learn. And then follow it up with what's not working so well. You know, I truly want to learn. I want to improve. I want to delight you. I want to exceed your expectations. And then another another question is, what do you wish I had asked you? Or what do you think would be helpful for me to know that we haven't talked about? Mm you know, and maybe it's something going on with the, their investors. Maybe it's something going on with their family. Maybe it's something going on with their, with their develop. whatever it is, just building that connection will bring you closer. Mm, I like that. And those are just three magical questions that really don't take a lot of skill, but the art comes in setting them up to answer them honestly. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to follow up, <laughs>
1: Right, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. and and that's what's that's what's funny is like, uh, and I can't even remember where I read or heard that kind of twisted my arm to open the door of the conversation, and you know they said there's, and I was a psychology minor right in college, and so human behavior has always been interesting to me, like you know just in and of itself, and because I went to such, I was a CS major you know? And so like you had to take humanity courses and I was like, ah, psychology seems pretty cool. I much rather do that than Shakespeare. So, you know, whatever. Right. And so I had enough credits ended up with a psychology a minor in psychology, but regardless for me, I know that there's like a nuance human behavioral thing in conversation, in sales, even if you just want to get somebody to open up. Right. Like you said, ask easy questions. Like every business owner, for me, my preliminary question is how's business, right? Because like every business owner wants, you know, they're going to talk about business. They get it. They, they love talking about their business and things like that. And you're either going to get a complaint or you're going to get happy stuff. Right. And either way, it's good information. Right. And so for me, that that's always my opener is how's business going, you know, how's life going, you know, those sort of things. Sometimes life is a, a guarded thing. People are, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes guarded with their personal things, but, That how's business going always, you know, whether they just came out of a bad meeting or they had a great quarter, you know, you get to hear about it and you can ask, like you said before, curious, being curious, you can ask deeper questions, following up with that. I mean, I think the follow-up is so, so critical. How would you suggest like to dive deeper? Because a lot of people have heard this. I don't have a problem. Just keep asking, how did you feel? Why? why, why, why? Almost to a point where it's kind of annoying, right? But I want to really f- understand it. How do you ask that why question and really get down to the deeper levels of that research?
0: Uh, yeah. So I, I, I teach this class called the art of the interview, which is uh, spends a lot of, of time on this, but um, there's a couple of kind of core follow-up questions that are super helpful that are safe too, because you don't necessarily want to react to the response. And some of those are, um, tell me more, you know, I'd love to learn more about that. Or when was the last time that happened? Mm. Um, Or um, can you walk me through that situation? And trying to um, give the person permission and paint the picture for them to take you through that journey. You want to listen to their, the words that they use and ideally observe them while they're retelling this story. We don't want to predict future performance or ask them to, you know, would you ever use this in the future is not something that is um, particularly reliable from a science standpoint. But their past experience is. So tell me more. When was the last time that happened? How did that make you feel? What did you do as a result of that would be another one. Um, Or in hindsight, do you think you would have done anything differently? Or what could have improved that experience or made it faster, better, easier, cheaper, more intuitive for you? Mm. But trying to uh, create space for them to articulate a specific experience or feeling or transaction or, you know, whatever it was and retelling it and then following up with, is that typical? How does that compare or how does that contrast to the other times you may have had it? Now, most often the last experience is going to be the most representative, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's not, you know, oh, well, that was a little different because, you know, it it was my mother-in-law or whoever. Mm -hmm. Well, what worked well about that or what didn't? Is there anything from, from that kind of alternative experience that you think you can apply to a future experience? or
1: vice versa. Mm, I love the whole, like that was, <laughs> I'm going to be listening back to this and actually jot them all down. <laughs> because I mean, for me, for me, like, and this is just the, and you mentioned earlier on about how Curiosity Tank was quote unquote born, right? And how people learn and things, right? So for me, as much as it pains my producer, Adam, to <laughs> wait, wait on my files and stuff, I can't take notes during a podcast. Like for me, I just can't because I like to be engaged. I'd like to be able to, you know, like hear and and then think about, you know, what my next question is, but hear what was said first and then formulate. If I'm writing something, just my, how my brain works, if I'm writing something down, I'm going to miss the next three sentences. Right. And so I will actually... L- listen back on this. I will actually, you can check the show notes. I will document all of those phrases, those follow-up phrases that Michelle just spewed out there. I mean, that, they're so helpful. I mean, a lot of them, you know, I'm going to, you know, cause I do, right? I say, well, how do you feel about that? Like, why did you do it that way? Like, you know, and there's only so many different ways in which I can phrase that stuff, but you had like at least seven other ones and I'm like, all right, well, we're (laughs) going deeper next time. Right. And so, so that was super awesome.
0: You bring up a really good point about um, not taking notes and that's certainly a best practice too. When, when you're, you know, I, I referred earlier to like getting in character and this, there being like a lot of improv involved in this and, and um, it's kind of like, you know, that's the art science kind of improv mix, but you want to be present you know, and I, and I don't, I I strongly suggest that people don't take notes during these calls and that they record the calls instead, whether they're using a, you know, a voice recorder on their phone or Zoom so that you can be fully present. And just by being present, you will deepen, you know, that connection. And just by, by seeing someone um, and, and being available to to notice the nuances of when they're looking away or when they're tapping their foot or when they might be feeling nervous or frustrated, you know, all of that, that's observation data. It's really important to know. And again, we want to try to understand the difference between what people say and what people do.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as a concrete example, and I had a conversation with Justin Jackson who he runs transistor the friendly host of this podcast, but he, he said like, you know, a lot of introverts have the best skill on the planet. They have a superpower that's unlike anybody else. And that's observation because as an introvert, you're just kind of taking in all of the surroundings, right? Like you're not necessarily not engaged with the person, but there's a lot of, a lot of other things. Right. And so one of the things that, you know, he mentioned was like, if you're in a face-to-face meeting in somebody's office, just look around the office. You'll find out what's important. They could be talking about that they want to hit these quarterly numbers, this, that, and the other thing. They want to win these award, professional awards, so on and so forth. Yeah. When you look around his their office, there's photos of their family. There's no professional awards. There's no certificates on the wall. There's, there's kids' drawings and all that other stuff. So while these awards and things might be important to them, actually, what really is important is their family time. Right? And so like goes kind of what you were saying there as far as, you know, making sure that they what they're saying is the actual truth, so to speak.
0: Right. And it goes to the, you know, kind of moving through that journey of, you know, surface level information to to depth. Right. The, what people say and what. And how they think is sort of more surface. And what we want to do is we want to kind of dive in there to, to what they do and, and what they use. And then ultimately to, you know, what they know and, and how they feel and what they dream about. We move through that pyramid, if you will, and, and different, different techniques or research techniques are certainly more appropriate for, for each phase. But, you know, the ultimate in, in sort of UX maturity, the ultimate signal if you will about about how experienced your you are your organization is is how often you do field studies or ethnography as we call them and that's where we actually go into context we go into you know meet those customers or prospects in their environment very much you know akin to to what you were just describing if you're learning want to learn about you know how handicapped golfers you know use tee times indifferently or how they get in and out of a cart, you want to go to a golf course, right? You, mm-hmm. you want to see it and learn it and smell it and feel it in context. And that's where that, you know, that, that's, the, that's the deepest understanding where we're going to find it move from like explicit to observable to tacit to, to latent knowledge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's where the nuggets are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is that, I mean, you showed me right before we pressed the coin this one page or worksheet that kind of outlined all of these things. Is that, is that what you're referencing?
0: Yes. Yes, it, it is. And I'm, and I'm happy to, to share it, but I also just kind of big caveat, you don't have to get there immediately. It doesn't even need to be a goal just by being open to learning and by expressing your genuine curiosity and by setting the stage up for, you know, just those three questions, you know, what's working really well, like, What's not working so well? And you know what else do you think would be helpful for me to know? Like if you just started mm. with those three questions and you did it consistently, I guarantee you'll, you'll have a new level of understanding of your audience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And Michelle, I'll link up your newsletter, your link for that worksheet, that one pager, if you will in the show notes for sure everybody go check out curiositytank.com get on that newsletter it's great and you get those freebies as an exclusive listener to this podcast so michelle before i let you go what's up next
0: uh my classes um classes for those individuals classes targeted towards your audience actually uh the individuals who want to learn how to ask better questions want to get some practice want to take a deep dive they're one-day classes. You get in, you get out, and they're extremely hands-on. So I have a class, for example, how to write a discussion guide. And you will leave with a discussion guide. And for your listeners, uh, there will be a promo code. They can use FEAST15 for 15% off any class that they want to take.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much. And these are, these are online classes or in-person
0: Uh, Online classes, super small groups, uh, seven to ten people max, to ensure that you get my eyeballs, you get my direct feedback. No one slips through the cracks. You get guidance and mentorship along the way, and you you leave with that whatever topic we're we're discussing, whether it's a how to write a survey or uh, how to create a discussion guide, whatever that focus is, you you leave with it. Awesome. Another one will be focused on um, analysis and synthesis. What do you do with all this data? (laughs)
1: Right. Yeah. And everyone, Michelle coached me through how to build the survey. Um, If you've received my survey, you know, last year, and I will be sending out another one based off of what Michelle has helped me do. This is what those classes are they help you. She's super knowledgeable. She ripped mine apart and for better or worse, <laughs> which was good. But yeah, I mean, just to really understand and like like she said, really right at the top is the focus. That was the very first thing that she asked me was, what do you want to learn? And so I think that that's super important to get in your head and your mindset first before even just doing research. Because admittedly, and I said this to Michelle, was that I sent out last year's survey almost at a whim. I was like, Oh, it's the end of the year. It's good time for a survey. Let me just throw this out and get some feedback because I'm planning content, but that wasn't as focused as it could possibly been. So Michelle knows what she's talking about. And definitely thank you for that promo code. I will put that it's feast 15. I'll also put that in the, the show notes as well. Michelle, thank you very much for spending some time with us today and sharing your, your experience.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Stay curious.
1: Awesome. And for everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. That's it, folks. Man, did she deliver or what? I hope you like me and jotted down all the questions asked. I'm actually going to use a lot of them on my next call. So I hope this was helpful. And this is a wrap of season seven of The Ideal Client. Now I know that there was a lot in this season. It was a lot for me and I've niched down several times on Ideal Clients. So I would love to hear your one takeaway from the whole entire season. Feel free to tweet me at Rez and let's have a conversation about it. We'll be back shortly with season eight. We're going to be talking about building your business. I'm going to bring on folks talking about how they went from services to products, how they went from certain marketing strategies that was working to not working and then build off of that. We're going to talk a lot about how to build properly and hear the stories and the struggles as well as the successes of those entrepreneurs. So I hope this was helpful for you until next time, it's your time to live in the feast.